0: Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. On October 29,
1: 1969, the internet era began as UCLA computer science professor Lynn Kleinrock sent the first message on ARPANET, a network of computers that would evolve to become what we know as the internet. On aux- uh, August 6, 1991, the internet became public domain. Five decades later, in 30 years since the World Wide Web brought the Internet into the mainstream, global digit connectivity has, for better or worse, fundamentally changed our world. It's hard to believe that the Internet is 50 years old. My guest today, has is issued, a, my guest today issued a clarion call about the dangers of Internet way back in 1997 when everyone was optimistic and enthusiastic about the possibilities of this new technology. In time, many of his predictions have proven correct. Douglas Groteis is professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary, where he has served since 1993. He is the author of many, many academic and popular articles, as well as 12 books, including The Soul in Cyberspace and Christian Apologetics. Welcome, Dr. Groteis.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Well, The Soul in Cyberspace was published in 1997, which means you had to be working on it in 1996 and perhaps even in 1995. What, do you, what motivated you way back in the early days of the Internet to write this book, which covers a lot of the concerns of the Internet and the possibilities of what the Internet can do uh, to human beings and their well-being.
2: Well, I got on the internet in 1995, I believe it was. But I had been interested in the philosophy of technology for some time. And I read a book, I think in 1987, by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death, which was a media ecology book. And it asked how forms of communication shape culture and shape our consciousness. So I thought about that quite a bit with relation to television and how when the image trumps the word, that affects discourse. Everything Mm -hmm. has to be entertaining and interesting and fascinating and actually amusing. And that word amuse means not to think, actually. So I wondered, with the advent of the Internet, how that would affect our types of communication, our culture, and how it would affect our ways of thinking. I'm a philosopher by profession, so I reflect quite a bit on... Discourse or how we consider the great issues of the day. Is there a God? Is there an afterlife? What's the meaning of life? And then particular issues related to politics and the arts. So I ask the question not just how can we use this technology to extend influence and to gather information, but what might it do to us as human beings?
1: Right. So, you know, you're examining the the priority or the elevation of the image over the word right. it was the beginning, you mm-hmm. know, from Neil Postman's work. He was very concerned about that. Right. So, um, you know, how did people respond to this book? I mean, this everybody in the late. I remember I was actually in high school in nineteen ninety six and everyone was so enthusiastic and intrigued by the Internet and by the possibility of being connected with people around the world and you know your book uh, the soul in cyberspace actually raised some deep concerns about this so how did people respond to this initially Mm
2: -hmm. well there wasn't a whole lot of response actually because when the book came out just about all the literature was enthusiastic and visionary that is how will the Internet change commerce how will it change the church how will it change media and everyone was just awash in possibilities and thinking of new ways to change the culture through the technology and the idea was that this will allow us to communicate more content to more people more often true but there's a downside to all that Mm -hmm. which is essentially we're limited finite human beings and we can't take in everything wisely we have to ponder things we have to slow down in fact we have to refrain from taking in certain data in order to analyze it and reflect on it properly so the response to my book besides a few positive reviews here and there and I was interviewed by Christianity today about it was pretty much well there's another curmudgeon you know Mm -hmm. there's another Luddite who hates technology which in fact was not true and on the book the publisher made sure to put my email address on the book so to show (laughs) that I was involved with the Internet but I was reading a lot of secular critiques of the Internet and I didn't see much at all out there by Christians and I wanted to issue basically a warning Uh, let's consider this let's not jump into this too quickly without considering how the medium itself is going to shape the message and shape those who receive the message
1: yeah, yeah, it sounds like a lot of the optimism related around things that are external to you know the, um, the society in general rather than reflecting on what it might do to human beings. Exactly. I'm reminded of this show, and I've mentioned it here on Christian Curious before, of the HBO series Years and Years, and there is this political activist where she is critiquing the internet and the 24 hour news media cycle and she says you know we careen from disaster to disaster and we don't stop to think we don't stop to learn we just keep careening from disaster to disaster to disaster and I can't help but wonder when's it going to stop
2: right well we have to monitor ourselves basically edit ourselves because the information is available constantly I'm 62, so when I was growing up, we had three television stations. There was no such thing as cable TV. The TV went off about 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came on at a particular time, so the default mode for a radio and television back then was off. You'd actually have to walk up to a television, turn it on. We had three channels when I was growing up in Anchorage, Alaska. We didn't have that many radio stations either. So uh, information and entertainment was quite limited, And you had to seek it out, basically. And this was a day when newspapers were far more influential also. So what we have to do now when you have unlimited opportunities to take in data is say, well, what sources are reliable? And this is a tremendous problem with the internet because how do you vet a source on the internet? Right. I get this with my students at Denver Seminary. They will site web pages for footnotes. Yes. And I Wikipedia. Don't, oh, that's the death knell <laughs> for a student if they do that. They're expelled <laughs> from school if they do that. But how do you know what sources are legitimate? Mm-hmm. What are just random bloggers? Because anybody off. can
1: put anything on.
2: Exactly. So you have to develop some filters in terms of uh, what organs are more reliable. Typically if you have an EDU instead of a dot com it may be a little more reliable, at least it's an educational institution. If you go to a major source like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or Time Magazine online, then you have some credibility, although obviously you have to test that as well. If you get an article online from Christianity Today, that'll be pretty solid. And of course, if you go to my webpage, uh, douglasgroteis.com, <laughs> it'll be very <laughs> solid. I agree with everything on that page. But it takes some selectivity and patience and also self-denial yeah we have to say we need times to be free from the internet and free from texting right to pursue silence and stillness and really try to f- hear the uh, still small voice of god himself it's difficult sometimes in the crush of information to sort things out and also to get a proper perspective yeah. On everything that's happening, because uh, to use another metaphor, it's like a, a tidal wave. This never stops. It just keeps going. One tidal wave after another washing right. over us.
1: Yeah. Well, we, before we get into more, of, you know, deeper into some of the concerns that you raised in your book about uh, the Internet and about the global connectivity, it should be said that you're no luddite meaning you don't think that the Internet is a completely bad thing. So I'd love to hear some of the things that you think are good about being connected on the Internet and the Internet as a tool.
2: Mm -hmm. Well I think the key thing is to look at whatever communication technology you're using and ask several questions. One is how does the medium shape the message. I get this from Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message he said so we're sitting here talking to each other face to face If we're talking on the phone that would be different if we're texting that's different could be the identical information but the context of the medium changes how it is received so let's say you're trying to interact with a friend who's going through uh, personal crisis Mm -hmm. it's always better to be with the person if you can you don't simply want to send a text message and leave it at that or For example, I'm a teacher, so I prefer the classroom one-on-one interacting to teaching Online. online or doing anything online. But I know that not everybody can sit in my classroom. So if you go to YouTube, there are many videos of mine there, and we're on the radio right now, and that's fine. I've probably done 500 radio or podcast interviews in my career. But the key thing is to ask, what does this medium do well? What does it not do well? and in fact should i even use it to communicate some ideas um, i went through a very difficult time with my first wife who passed away last july she was suffering from dementia and i used facebook to publicly lament a lot of what was going on right and i have had many many people tell me how helpful that was to them and it was fairly personal uh, looking back maybe is a little bit too personal in some ways but the overall response was we were able to experience something of your suffering before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I've had people tell me it helped them in their difficulties and problems. Uh, In my book, Walking Through Twilight, which is about Becky's dementia and how we dealt with it as believers, I have a whole chapter on just that, lamenting online. So there's something to it. You have to be careful. You don't want to reveal too much. Yeah, overshare. But at the same time, you can develop some trust and some meaningful interaction with people simply through Facebook. I can think of a person I got to know who offered to edit some of my work, some of my shorter essays and reviews because Rebecca, my first wife, used to edit all my work and then once she got dementia, she could no longer do that. So uh, this woman I met online, I've never actually met her face to face edits my shorter writings and uh, she's actually a little bit like Rebecca in the way she edits. Wow. So that's very meaningful and I wouldn't say, well, I can't do that because I never met the person. Yeah. There is a meaningful level of communication that can be established and obviously there's a lot of superficiality, a lot of reactions. It's very easy to be in the flesh online Mm -hmm. because you can just send a message and there it goes. You don't edit yourself. Let's say if you're writing a letter to someone. I still do that. I write at least two or three letters a week. You sit down. You take out a card. You decide what card to write on, what pen to write with, (laughs) uh, who to write, what to say. Then you put it in the envelope, put a stamp on it, take it to the mailbox. A lot of time there to filter and to slow down. Very different with a text message, an email, Instagram, whatever it is.
1: Well, one of the, you know, you mentioning writing about as you go through grieving your wife's dementia and then eventual death and how people responded to that. And what I see is a transparency and a vulnerability that people are hungry for. Mm -hmm. So there in Facebook, you are able to. Communicate a truth, a hard truth, in ways that you may not be able to communicate that on a Sunday morning at church. That's true. Um, Many young adults, many, um, even people my age, young Gen Xers, older Gen Xers, have said that it's hard to go to church because it's hard to show our real faces. Mm -hmm. And in writing the truth about your struggles, you've provided an avenue for people who may not ever go to church to to say, wow, this person is a believer and yet they struggle. And
2: that could be. I think we should be much more open and transparent in the church and maybe not in the service, but maybe in a small group or maybe in a prayer group or something like that. So I, I don't want the Internet to replace what can be done better face to face. It can supplement. Right. I don't want it to replace something that it's inferior to. That's mm-hmm. probably one of my key concerns. Yeah. And that often happens. Exactly. It does. It happens, I think, in education. It happens in uh relationships. Uh sometimes it's a lot easier to send a text message to break up with somebody <laughs> than <laughs> to uh, We've uh, heard
1: a lot of those stories. Yeah,
2: can you imagine that? Sorry, it's over. Um <clears throat> But I'm in no position to say we'll just give up communication technology or stay off the internet. I do think, though, that periodic abstentions are important. Yeah. Uh, maybe take a whole day where you don't look at your cell phone or go on a retreat, a silent retreat, and put the cell phone on silent or keep it in the car or something. That's harder and harder to do, though, because people expect you to respond. Mm hmm and we have this idea that well somebody may need to contact me in an emergency and we forget that most of cosmic and human history occurred with before the internet right so before cell phones before cell phones so it could be we don't need to know everything immediately you know it used to be that news traveled no faster than a steam engine and somehow people got along so we have this bias that says the faster we can deliver something the better. Mm-hmm. And the quicker we can respond, the better. No, you have to ask your, ask yourself whether or not I need to know this, whether or not I need to respond to this. And often, um, as scripture says, uh, a wise man holds his peace, but a fool proclaims his folly. You have to often edit yourself. Just learn how to be quiet.
1: Right. Edit yourself. Those mm-hmm. very wise and important words to, to live by. Um, in your book, you in the beginning of the book, you wrote, For those souls not anchored in Christ's salvation and commission, cyberspace can be hazardous to virtue and the flourishing that God intends. What did you mean by that? Can you flesh that out a bit for us?
2: Right. Well, it's my basic concern that God created a physical world, said it was good, created human beings in His image and likeness, said they were very good came to us through Christ the word became flesh and dwelt among us and when we divorce ourselves from that world of embodiment physical objects relationships interaction you can expose you can overexpose yourself and overshare and also there are levels of deception possible on the internet that were not possible before the Mm -hmm. internet. I just read the New York Times recently about a week and a half ago about uh, these terrible people that will uh, trap children into sharing illicit photos and then they will, oh they my will, gosh, uh, yeah. they call it, um, I think they call it, uh, I forgot the name now, but they'll trap them and then they'll, they'll say, unless you do more, I'll send it to a bunch of different people. So basically this happens in gaming applications and there's some kind of a chat function and someone poses as another youngster is really a perverted adult. And then gets these images and says, unless you do more for me, or unless you meet me, I'm going to put it on Facebook or I'm going to send it to your best friends or something like this. And that kind of deception would not be possible before that. Right. I mean you also you have people out there that want to deceive and trick younger people. But it's a lot easier now because you can hide behind these false identities, mm-hmm. even uh hide behind physical or at least visual representations like avatars and so on.
1: Yeah. Well, just this last weekend, my, my eldest daughter, who's 10, we let our daughters, 8 and 10, play on video games on the weekend if they've done their homework and all that. But um, my daughter Ellie, who's 10, was sitting in the kitchen, and she was playing Roblox, which is this video game for kids. And um, I went up to her, and I said, Hey, Ellie, where are you? And she goes, um, I'm sitting in the kitchen. And I said, no, I said, your body is sitting in the kitchen, but if you're playing Roblox and you're focused on Roblox, are you in the video game or are you in the kitchen? Mm. And she looked at me and she goes, that's too hard of a question, mom. I'm not going to think about that. Thanks a lot.
2: (laughs) She'll think about it though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, but it's true. It's, you know, if you are, you know, and I think about myself, you know, I, I, read a lot, I research a lot, and if I'm in the internet and I'm researching and I'm um, involved in that, where am I? Am I physically Mm -hmm. present with my kids or am I within the cyberspace realm? And we've asked that a lot about moms who are on the playground and or people who that are playing with their phones and not paying attention to their kids Mm -hmm. or you know me and my husband have a game to see how many couples are actually not talking but actually on their phones Mm -hmm. so where are they I mean it seems like um, that cyberspace creates a sense of disembodiment Mm -hmm. and I've always been curious about the sense of disembodiment because it almost for Christians and even non-Christians kinda diminishes the importance of the body. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's dangerous ramifications of that.
2: Oh, it does definitely because consciousness is not a physical reality. We're a mind and a body, a interactive dualism, but both are good and both have their place. So you could look at someone's brain and never see a thought. You could see what happens in the brain as a result of thinking or things that happen in the brain that might affect thoughts. So our consciousness can range all over the place. I can think about something in AD 100 right now, and we can use abstractions like we're talking about embodiment, Mm -hmm. disembodiment. But we are physical beings. We have a sense of touch and taste and sight and smell. And all that is important. That's part of who we are in God's image, and likeness and when God himself came to earth in Christ he took on a human nature a real true human nature so if we are so in our consciousness connected everything through the internet and not actually in a particular place like attending to another person like a spouse or a child or a friend then some people call this the absent present so let's say you go to Olive Garden, and you see a table, and there are five people. None of them are looking at each other. They're mm-hmm. all looking at their own phones. Or maybe togetherness occurs, and they both look at the same phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least there's some shared activity there. But I know that some people will say, when we go out to eat, we put the phones in the middle of the table. And the first person to answer the phone has to buy the meal, or something like that. So are the, there are these exercises that can be used to keep this in place. yeah, But it is so easy to think, I need to maximize the use of my time. Mm -hmm. And we all need to learn how to multitask. But actually, you cannot multitask and have your attention adequately focused on one of the six things or one of the three things. You're going to diminish your consciousness. Consciousness is a limited quantity, you might say. And I can't divide it into three places and assume I can rightly focus on any of those three places. So especially in situations like teaching the sacred activities in a church meeting, we need to be as present and involved as we can. Yeah. Now, if I'm interacting with someone in India who's a Facebook friend, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can send a text and I can say, you could get some information at this webpage or... I give a thought or I say, I'll pray for you. But see, that's second best. And if I, let's say, interact with one of my students at Denver Seminary only online, and I never take time to say, "Why don't you come to my office and we'll talk and listen to some music and so on, uh, then I think I've exchanged the lesser I've exchanged the greater for the lesser. Yeah. It's just easy, right? And a lot of life is not easy, It should not be easy. It takes more investment more effort to be involved
1: It is definitely harder to uh, build human relationships and act on the physical level than it is to just take a peek at Facebook and see mm-hmm. what what's going on with everyone else even though it damages us you know psychologically It can um, My final question we just have just a minute left but if you were to look into the future where do you see technology impacting, um, the spiritual lives of human beings you know what what should we be watching out for
2: I think there's been a counter reaction to putting too much online too much of the time I'm seeing a lot of books in the last 10 or 15 years talking about the need to pull back the need for silence the time you need to spend in God's good creation mm-hmm. people even talk about nature deficit disorder whether or not that's a real thing I've or not. heard about that Yeah. so I already see a kind of response to it that is more sane, is more wise. Uh, but given what's going on with uh, companies like Google and Facebook mining data and so on, you know, there's good reasons to be skeptical about right. going online. And what are the bad effects of this? So there are times to pull back and, and reset, push the reset button, so to speak, on the internet. PUSH
1: the, push the reset button on yeah. the internet. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Groteis. We appreciate what you had to say. We have so much more to unpack, so we are going to uh, continue our uh, I- interview with Dr. Groteis and you know, tap his brain a little bit further next week. Um, you've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can visit us online anytime at www.christiancurious.com dot org. That's www.christiancurious.org. and I love to hear from listeners. Please email me with your thoughts and questions at Dr. Haley at christiancurious.org. That's D R H A L E E at christiancurious.org.
0: Keep Christianity curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, Haley at christiancurious.org. That's d-r-h-a-l-e-e at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.